You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Rucker Hauer flies on a Lady Hawk over Dracula. In 3D! No, I believe you. I believe in dreams. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come at the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One has two good movies, the other two bad. Let the chaos all be again. I am Adam Nexus One Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani, and I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Hitchers on fire, off the shoulders of Sin City. I watched Batman glitter in the dark near the Blind Fury Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like hobos with shotguns. Time to start the show. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry to get you crying right off the start, Adam. You deserve a webby. Is that what I deserve? Is I think. That... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever podcast award you will give us, please. We're desperate. Uh, yeah. For your consideration, Adam. <laughs> there. Uh, but Adam, I, I figured it was appropriate if only to start that way because uh, we're we're talking about a topic here that uh, came up as a bittersweet note. We sometimes hate doing this kind of thing where somebody we really love passes away and uh, we want to do a show. We contemplate all the time, especially 2019 has had some weird ones that have died. We're just like... we maybe could do a show but we're kind of undecided we're not sure but we had to stop at attention and pay respect to somebody who died about a month and a half ago but he still lingers with us and will always linger with us mr rutger hauer who uh, died at the age of 75 um in july and uh it was a real bummer to hear about his passing yeah definitely definitely like i said in our in our pick and he's you know one of, if not my all-time favorite cinematic uh, villain is Roy Batty. Even as a kid, I, I just couldn't stop watching Rugger Hauer uh, anytime he come on screen. I don't know if it was his presence, his accent. I mean, the bleach blonde hair in Blade Runner, something about him. He was just like, I was just glued to him. And then he popped up in a couple other of my favorite movies and as a kid, one of which we're discussing tonight. Yeah, that, that one was a real bummer. It was just a bummer. Was Blade Runner the first time you ever saw him in a movie? I believe so. I think it's the first time most people saw him, to be honest. Well, admittingly, uh, I didn't watch Blade Runner until um, a while afterward. Um, but uh, oh. the first time I remember seeing him, or at least recognizing him truly, was uh, probably in Batman Begins. Um, in a very small role, but very memorable with the whole, didn't you get the memo? Great. Oh, bit. yeah, he's such a dick. And, and that's the thing I always loved about Red Howe, really, was that he was such a great scene stealer. Like, even in the smallest parts, he always made a great impression. And he was apparently doing that well before most people saw him in probably, like, a Blade Runner, as you mentioned. Because he was, like, working 
in uh, Danish films in like the late 60s even, and he was also the first guy to get on the uh, eye of Paul Verhoeven. Like, he's in a lot of the Dutch films that nobody's seen of his. Um, and of course, was also in, I think, an underrated gem of Verhoeven's filmography, uh, Flesh and Blood. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. yeah, that is an underrated movie. Yeah, it's a weird, very violent yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, hmm, what was Paul Verhoeven's movies missing? Oh, how about throwing plague dogs into castles? <laughs> Literally happens in that movie. It's uh, it's very interesting, and he's quite good in it. But what I also like is that he always had this sort of, like, gruff exterior, as we kind of mentioned, but at the same time, he was always able to imbue a lot of, like, pathos and a genuine sort of dimensional sensibility about that character. Like, even in probably my favorite performance of his is one we almost covered for this show and one I really want to cover at some point, Hobo with a Shotgun. I think is, honestly, in a very silly, over-the-top, almost like trauma tribute movie, it's a genuinely beautiful performance. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic in that movie. In such a, like you said, just a silly movie to begin with, he brings so much gravitas and weight to it. I mean, yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. Yes, of course. And uh, we're honoring him tonight, of course, and... As we mentioned every time we do one of these episodes, uh, which we've done Burt Reynolds and we did Dick Miller, and as we mentioned then, as we will mention now and any time we do one of these episodes, um, despite doing a good and a bad feature, uh, we are not trying to decry the legacy of this person uh, with by talking about a bad movie necessarily, um, because really what we like doing with this show is getting the full context of some topic, because we cover a good and a bad side of it, as we do on every show, we uh, pick randomly a good and a bad feature based on, um, you know, one of us has two good movies, one of us two has two bad movies, and we pick at the end of every episode. And so we obviously are doing this one, and by doing a bad Rutger Hauer movie, we're not trying to cast any aspersions on the man as much as just uh, talk about the fact that he had a very wide breadth of films, and um, there were a fair share of stinkers in there. Oh, yeah, he did a bunch of stinkers <laughs> let's be honest here no that's it's very true honestly especially uh the 90s were a bad time for him <laughs> oh boy in particular um but that just shows how much of a consummate working actor he was um even when the films weren't that great he always uh stood out speaking of bad movies um we're gonna be talking about our bad feature first uh which is uh dario argento's dracula 3d which was my choice and then after that we're gonna wash out the taste of that film uh with Adam's good pick, which was a Lady Hawk. Yeah, let's let's get to it. Yeah, so uh, let's <laughs> let's get the contractual obligation out of the way of uh, Dracula 3D. I am Count Dracula. The creature is not human; it is a vampire. How can you defeat a monster like that? There are ways. He is evil! Do you hear me, Van Helsing? Evil! So, Dracula 3D uh, came out October 4th, 2013. Uh, it was directed and co-written by Dario Argento. Um, this is the first Argento film we've covered on the show. Um, oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so bad. I mean, to be fair, we talked we talked about Suspiria on the Horror Returns, uh, his, a yeah. much better film of his. Um, and mainly, I'm not as versed in Argento necessarily, who, of course, is an Italian horror director, probably best known for Suspiria, also Inferno. Um, one of the ones I've seen I really dig is Phenomena. Yeah, Phenomena, that's good. It's fucking yeah, that's good. Stenholz Syndrome. 
Uh, he's done a lot. I'm guessing you're more versed in his filmography. I don't necessarily like celebrate it the way a lot of people do. Not that I don't enjoy his movies or anything, but yeah, I went through a, a phase where I, I swallowed up anything Argento I could get my hands on. Uh, Argento, Bava, most of the Italian horror. It all started with Fulci, and then mm-hmm. I just kind of fell down that rabbit hole for a little while. So yeah, I've seen, I think I've seen most of his movies. I think maybe the only one I didn't see is the one with Adrian Brody. Oh, uh, yeah, the Giallo? Oh, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, you know, I've seen most of his flicks, if not all, for sure. And meanwhile, I betray my Italian blood by not seeing that many Argento movies. I feel my home country. <laughs> Mamma mia, pizzeria, why? Jesus Christ. I hey, I can do it. My last name's Mariani, fucker. I can't. All I can do is like, Fight me, trick whiskey, fight me. That's about all I can do. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I'm just busy doing like, it's a me, Amalio. We could just go off on this for an hour and a half. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. The podcast everyone wants to listen to. Yeah. But all right, we, gotta, we have to eventually talk about this movie, Adam. So, oh, you fucker. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I, this, so this was my pick, and I picked it, um, one, to hurt Adam, because if you heard the end of our last episode, he had a breakdown <laughs> during our oh. picking. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I said we were doing this. And, I mean, I've heard of this movie. It's sort of um, infamously terrible. It's the movie that most people point to as, like, oh, this is officially when Dario Argento completely went down the drain. Because apparently he'd been on the downswing from what I'd heard since, like, the late 80s, right? And it only got worse and worse sure. from there as it yeah, went definitely. along. And I was aware of certain things, like um, a praying mantis person. Uh, that's just... <laughs> which is, like, a weird uh, moment in the movie. So I'm like, oh, maybe it'll have a lot of moments like that that'll at least be kind of entertainingly bad. And um, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen, I think, because... I told you. I fucking told <laughs> well, you. Because the thing is, like, moments like this happen, and, like, it's the Bram Stoker story, pretty much, through and through. Like, I think the biggest change they do is... Spoilers, I don't give a shit. Uh, they kill Jonathan Harker. Yeah, and they don't leave Transylvania. Yeah, because they go to England later. Um, as we... May have discussed that in talking about a better Bram Stoker Dracula adaptation, an Archeanu yeah. episode. But but yeah, so this it basically sticks to that story and has a few divergent things in there. And it's sad that those divergent things don't happen more because there are just occasional moments where it's like, oh, something kind of interesting happens. But this is mostly a really bad stage play with people talking to each other in boring, diluted fashion, shot with the lighting and cinematography of a softcore porn. Yes. And of some softcore porn elements. That's true, that randomly pop up. And it's it's yeah, this thing where, like, nudity. like, that'll happen, or there'll also be, like I mentioned, like, Dracula turns into a praying mantis, there's a point where he turns into a bunch of flies that come in, or um, really bad CG wolves. Also weird attempts to make the 3D happen, which, um, this was around the time of the big 3D craze, and I can name all the points where they kind of use the 3D on one hand. Yeah, at best, at best. At best, yes, yes. Um, And uh, if they kind of stuck to any one of those weird things, this would be probably still not a good movie, but at the same time a more memorable and interesting one, an entertaining one, right. As opposed to, uh, this movie runs an hour and 50 minutes, it feels about twice as long. Oh, easily. And yeah, um, all the acting is very wooden. Even there are good actors in this movie, like, of course, Rutger, who we'll get to momentarily. But um, even Thomas Kretschmann, who I think is a solid character actor, and I would have figured, yeah, okay, he could probably be a solid Dracula, um, is completely boring in this part. Oh, he's so wasted here. 
No, completely. Um, they, I was so bored watching this that I just kept thinking the whole time, he looks like he could be like a young Liam Neeson. Like if you did yeah, taken prequel. I could you, see that. But yeah, it's it's just so stale and dry. And that's the thing is like, Dario Argento is best known for stuff like Suspiria and all this other stuff where even if the movies aren't necessarily that great, there's constant weird stuff going on. Fascinating mm-hmm interesting imagery that's just like how the fuck is this happening it's all this weird dream logic like i'm not a hu- like say i've seen inferno i'm not the hugest fan of inferno but there's at least something yeah. happening every minute that i'm like okay this is not boring by any stretch right um, this is a grueling experience to sit through it's like dario Gentoo wrote out the outline and he's like okay it's the track of the outline i'll put a few pinpoints here to develop with all these different ideas i have and then he, like, just procrastinated, and then it got to, like, hey, we're shooting tomorrow, Dario. You're like, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I guess... Uh, he's, uh, he's a pain in the mantis, sir. <laughs> Dario Argento, our special guest for the evening. <laughs> hey, make him an owl. <laughs> Put in a bad CG. <laughs> Go down to Dario's pizzeria after the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, uh, and it's like, hey, the CG is so terrible. Yeah. Oh, it, it looks like they're constantly on a green screen. When there is dubbing, because clearly there's some of these people are dubbed. What? Are you saying he dubbed over some people in this movie? I thought they were all authentic English accents. And it's the worst dubbing. It's so, like, just grating on the fucking ears. The opening sex scene, which of course there's an opening sex scene, the dude's just giving it to her, like, outside of her thigh. Like, it's not even anatomically possible that they're having sex. It's ridiculous. And, they, I mean, the fake mustache on the one guy, the fucking, just, Asia Argento, could she not give a shit any less? No, uh, that's an interesting part of his legacy, too, that we won't get into as Asia Argento. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> And, of course, one of many examples of her taking off her clothes, especially for a film directed by her father. So yeah. fucking weird to me. She, like, bears her fangs. She has the funniest face I've ever seen. But she's like, wow! And she just looks ridiculous. Right, the, the scene where um, she is uh, destroyed by having uh, Rutger Hauer throw a lamp at her and she catches on fire? Quote-unquote. Yeah, it's fire. But, like, that's the thing is we're talking about some of these moments and there are going to be people out there, we won't name names, Lance Langford Horror Returns, who listen to our show and they're like, oh my god, I should see this bad movie, it should be so much fun. This is one of those real examples where, like, we want to explicitly warn you not to do that. This is a complete waste of your time. The only reason that someone would have to watch this movie is, A, they're an Argento completionist. You want to see everything Dario Argento's done. Or, you're a Dracula film completionist. So you want to see every movie that's about Dracula. Other than that, don't watch this. All right, you know what? A good, a good opinion about Lance Langford. Okay, you remember the Evil Dead remake? Fucking hipster Jesus. But he's got the fucking Necronomicon. It's literally saying every page, don't read this fucking book. Don't open this book. Don't. And he does it anyways. <laughs> yeah. This movie is the Necronomicon. Lance is like hipster Jesus. <laughs> like, don't, this, this movie is uh horrible waste of time it is an atrocious waste of time it is filmed like you said it looks like a softcore porno at best some other scenes are like lit more like a gas station like Mm -hmm. where it's just like it's so overlit because like you know in a 
blow budget movie, you would figure it would be like, hey, let's uh, obfuscate some things with some darker lighting here and there. Let's make this look a bit better by not showing everything. And Dario apparently reversed that concept, just like, I want to show everything in the most even light possible so you can see all of it and how fake it looks. That fucking train. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This was your first time, yes? first and only for for sure um and i'm very sorry i made you watch it a second time i'm I'm oh that's okay but then again i also messaged you like you know what after i saw it like maybe you don't need this necessarily rewatch like no i'm dedicated to my craft sir (laughs) i haven't seen it since it came out i had to rewatch it just so i could like talk have opinions on everything but at the same time I just watched it hours ago. I don't really remember a lot of it. I was tuned out so much. Just these people and these horrible dub voices spouting endless bullshit dialogue. It was a real fight to stay awake watching this. It's, it's yeah, one of those movies. Where it's, third reason to watch it, uh, you need to go to sleep and you don't have melatonin. Just like, just put on this movie. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I, I. I didn't take a fucking like pause it and take a cat nap. I think I. I in fact, I know I did. <laughs> like, I'm literally asleep. I have to, like, maybe go to sleep so I can wake up and finish this. If not, I wasn't going to do it. There was no way. <laughs> it's so fucking boring. And what it is, dude, it's clear, A, it's Argento doing 3D for the first time. B, it's Argento using a big CGI sort of effects, something he doesn't really do. And C, he's adapting it from an existing novel, something he doesn't really do. So it's Argento later on in his life at the near the end of his career trying all these new things and none of it works. He's so clearly a novice when it comes to all of that. If you put these movies in front of me and it's the first time seeing them and you show me Suspiria and then show me this and tell me, yeah, the same guy made that, I'd be like, fuck you. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's definitely one of the worst of the show as well. Without question. Don't watch this movie. I guess before we finish completely on this movie, though, uh, we should talk about our man of the hour, uh, Rutger Howard. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we mentioned that, of course, the, the guy would usually pop up in movies and kind of be like a bright spot. Unfortunately for this movie, he couldn't be because, once again, we're not trying to cast any aspersions on him, but admittingly, maybe his worst performance in the movie. Oh, he also looks like he doesn't even know what he's doing. No, he looks very lost in a very sad way. Like, if you had told me this is one of the last movies he did before he died, I would have believed you, and it would have been a bummer. Even though he worked for the rest of his life, still. Yeah. He made, like, what, another ten movies after this. Yeah, right, exactly. No, it, it just looked like he was, like, probably didn't know what his direction was even supposed to be, didn't know the 3D technology, maybe, the way it was being filmed, maybe threw him off. Or maybe he was even just confused just by, like, the weird way he decided to, like, make all of this. We're just like, hey, uh, Dario, are we lighting it like this? I can, like, barely see. Why are we doing this this way? It's like, shut up. It's fine. (laughs) Why why am I wearing corduroys? (laughs) Isn't this, like, the late 1800s? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, the corduroys have the fashion, the durable. You walk real fast to start a fire. I can just see him being so debilitated and lost with sequences like where he's grinding garlic to put in bullets and shit like that. And I'm sure he's just like, uh, this movie's so boring that that happened. I'm like, wow, this is dumb. He's putting that in bullets. And then later on, he has a line about like, I only put garlic to these many bullets. I'm like, oh yeah, he did do that like 20 minutes ago. Oh yeah. (laughs) I just completely forgot about that. And he proves to be completely useless. 
Like, yeah, he kills Harker, but that's it. Well, no, he also kills, like, Ijar Genzo. He does a couple of things. It becomes, like, Dracula Dead and loving it, where he does it unintentionally, almost. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, he's the most competent person, but completely by accident. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, Dracula, at the end, faces off against him. He's standing right in front of him with a wooden stake. You have to hit me in the heart! And he's just standing there, he's like, oh. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> So then Dracula just starts punching him in the face a lot. And by the way, this sounds like it could be somewhat fun, and it's like one of the most boring climaxes I've ever seen in the movie. That's such a bummer, too, where it's like, if you had told me at some point, hey, Rutger Howard plays Van Helsing in the movie, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. That's what sold this movie to me to begin with. Mm-hmm. Dario Gento's directing Dracula with Rucker Howard's Van Helsing? What the fuck? He's apparently um, one of the few examples of an actual Dutchman playing the role, because he was actually written in the original novel as a Dutchman. If, if not the only one, in at least that I know of, in popular culture. Right, unless Hugh Jackman was secretly Dutch and we didn't know it. Oh my god, that fucking movie too. Oh no. That's a question. Which is worse, this or the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing? This. This is worse. Because mm-hmm. at least the Hugh Jackman one is so bad that it's still entertaining and what a mess it is. Yeah, but Studio Trainwreck classic bad. Just like, oh, okay, we're doing that now. We're doing like, this. They like, really thought they had something there. Right. Like, you could tell they plan on sequels and a franchise, and holy shit, did it not work. Nope. This one is almost depressing. Because of the people involved, and this is what you get. Yeah, you get um, Rutger Hauer holding up two twigs as a cross. Which you know he has a giant cross. He had it with him in the scene before. Yeah, and even when he was introduced, which by the way, he comes into this movie 70 minutes in, and he literally bumps into our main actress like, oh, I'm sorry, my name's Abraham Van Helsing. That's his introduction in this movie. Dracula's introduction <laughs> is even worse. Where Jonathan Harker's at the table with this girl, and you hear a door open and close, and he looks, and it's Dracula standing in the doorway. Hey, hey, I'm Dracula. Like, what the fuck? That's how you're going to introduce Dracula? He just walks in the dinner room? Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, hello, didn't see you there. Uh, anyway. Oh, hey, oh, hey. Yes, please. Have some Pascati. Um, <laughs> I like Thomas Crutchman a lot. Yeah. Uh, for those who might want, you know, he's Baron von Strucker in Age of Ultron. He was uh, cross and wanted, the one who ended up being his actual dad. The guy's in a ton of shit. One of his more famous roles is probably as the main Nazi guy who Adrian Brody interacts with in The Pianist. Oh, God, yeah, what a piece of shit he is in that. Okay, anyways, <laughs> he's a really good character actor, and he would yes. be, I think, potentially could be a really good Dracula. Like you said earlier, to me, it actually kind of makes sense. No, not in this at all. They don't even give him any of the seduction. They don't give him anything. He's just spouting off lines from the book that you've already heard before, or he's doing really bad jutting at the camera shit that they make him do. It's awful. Awful, awful, awful. I would argue it's probably the worst direct adaptation of Dracula. At least I've seen. Yeah, probably. Probably out of all the ones I've seen, most of them I want to say. Like, I've seen the Jack Palance one, the Frank Langella one, all those. This is probably the worst one. Yeah, easily. Yeah, because I mean, in any of those different versions of Dracula, they bring something interesting. Because obviously, there's like, even as far back as Nosferatu is like one of the classic mm-hmm. 
films of all time and does such a unique job um, to the point of being legally <laughs> bound by Bram Stoker's widow at the time. And then all the other, like obviously Bela Lugosi, Christopher Lee, all these different versions, even down to fucking Adam Sandler has a more interesting version of Dracula in the Hotel Transylvania movies. Oh, fucking Luke Evans in Dracula Untold was Yeah, because at least that movie is like a very, like has points where it's like a very silly action movie <laughs> that's mm-hmm. kind of entertaining to watch. Um, this is just, it's dire. It, it's such a complete vacuous hole of nothingness that just sucks you in. It's like a telenovela with no drama. No, yeah, exactly. It, it's just, it's a complete snooze fest, a complete bore, and it's a complete waste of Rutger Howard, for sure, in a very yeah, almost Shatner-esque performance, where he's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Abraham Van Helsing. <laughs> like, he does a lot oh, of pauses. I know, and he's wearing, like, a modern-day, like, fedora for some reason. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? It is a criminal, criminal waste of his talents. But then again, it's also a criminal waste of Thomas Crushman. It's a criminal waste of Dario Argento. While they were making this movie, not one other person on set was like, uh, maybe we should rethink this. Yeah. You can't tell me that they saw the dailies for this and were like, ah, oh, he's a perfect... Magnifico! Like, there's no fucking way! Well, you know, I'll bet you they were just like, hmm, this looks pretty bad, but I'm sure Dario will do something with, like, the visual effects. Yeah, he's gotta do something. He's gonna spruce it up and give it... So, And it's almost like it went straight from daily to the theaters. And he just got, like, some kid who had After Effects to do the effects. Oh. Oh, the owl. Oh, God. The owl, the the ending bit with him as a cloud monster. Really, the only one that's kind of interesting is the praying mantis bit. Just because you're like, wait, what's happening now? I, I agree, 100%. I'm, we're so excited with Wait a minute. Huh? Moments before, you're just like, oh, Jesus, fuck. God. Oh, God. Fucking what? <laughs> Like, honestly, that's all you need to see of this movie is just that Praying Mantis clip, I'm sure, is on YouTube. Just watch uh, that. If you watch the Red Band trailer on, on YouTube, it has almost the whole scene. Praying Mantis, like, stabs a guy? It's like, oh, yep. that's, all, that's all you would need. But, but yeah, um, just like we mentioned, uh, dire warning, we're the crazy Ralphs of this podcast saying, don't go down there and see that Dracula 3D. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't if you do. <laughs> You're all doomed. Um, and I think that's good final thoughts because fuck this. This is def- this is one of the worst for the show. If it's, not, it's one. Of it's if one. if not the, it, well, it's my personal worst. This is right up there with the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Yes, it's it's one of those. I still would say for all you new fans, um, the worst still for me is way early in our show. We covered a movie called Wired about John Belushi. Oh, 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 um, that is, because if nothing else, this is desecrating a great work of art. It's not desecrating a real person's life <laughs> in the worst way possible. That's still the worst one for me. Um, but this is not too far off at all. Yeah. But on that note, let's uh, throw out a promo for an ESO Network show that you can listen to right now. The answer. The ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything is 42. That's right, Broad Speculation, and on the 42 cast, we bring you drama-free discussions on television shows, movies, video games, novels, and comics. So don't bother thinking about the question, just go straight to the answer. It's only on the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. Alright, and now let's get into our good feature to wash that taste out of Dracula 3D, uh, 1985's Lady Hawk. He was a pickpocket. 
The knight who had saved him wanted only two things. To free his lover and to take his revenge. I have waited almost two years for a sign from God. Sir, the truth is I talk to God all the time. And no offense, but he never mentioned you. Matthew Broderick, Michelle Pfeiffer, Rutger Hauer, Ladyhawk. So Lady Hawk uh, came out April 13th, uh, 1985, directed by Richard Donner. Interestingly, one of two movies in 1985. Uh, the previous one we did not too long ago on the show, Goonies. Oh, shit. Richard Donner gave me two of my childhood favorites. Fuck you, Thomas. <laughs> Listen to our underrated, overrated episode uh, in the archives for all my hot takes on the Goonies. <sighs> but, um, you know, Adam, as you mentioned, this was uh, your pick and you really like this yes. movie a lot. I hadn't seen it before, but why, don't you, why uh, did you decide to choose this one in particular for Rutger Hauer and maybe give a bit of a plot synopsis for any newbies out there? Sure, sure. Uh, th- well, the reason I chose this, it's fondly remembered, but not often talked about. You know, people talk about Blade, Blade Runner more than anything in Rutger Hauer's career for the most part. That and, like, maybe Nighthawks gets a lot of talk, too, for some fucking reason. No, this this movie I loved as a kid. Basic plot synopsis is... Uh, there's Rucker Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer are two lovers that are cursed by a priest and uh, he becomes a wolf at night and she's a hawk at by day. So they can they're never around each other in their physical forms anymore. Little guy, little spunky Matthew Broderick joins up with Rucker Hauer and they quest to stop the curse, defeat the curse. Uh, but, you know, sword and sorcery and horses and adventure abound. Right, it's a it's a fantasy film, very much, and, and crazy fucking music. Yes, we we should <laughs> talk about that. You know, um, as I mentioned, this is the first time I've ever seen Lady Hawk. It was a childhood favorite of yours. This is a fresh eyes thing for me. And I'll admit, Adam, uh, you kind of jumbled up the plot synopsis a bit there because we spend at least the first twenty minutes or so mainly with Matthew Broderick and Rutger Hauer is introduced a bit later. During that twenty minutes, I was a bit nervous. Because uh, I wasn't really digging the Matthew Broderick shenanigans early on in this film. Admittingly, I'm not a huge fan of Matthew Broderick. I know, um, Adam, for maybe some ESO people who are new, um, you have a list of people that you're not a fan of, who you've talked sure, about yes. many a time. Um, name, some examples might include uh, John Travolta, uh, John Voight, yep. um, Dennis, uh, Quaid. Dennis Quaid, Kevin Smith. <laughs> right. I um, mean, there's a ton. And uh, Matthew Broderick, I believe you said, was one of them. Oh, he's firmly on that list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a the, the vic, vehicular manslaughterer. Yeah, he he's he's firmly on my fucking list. Yeah, look at his history. Uh, not too long after this movie, uh, something happened in his real life. You can go look at that later. He killed a guy. <laughs> he killed, he, I don't know. We're not casting any kind of aspersions for legal reasons. Um, but Adam, um, so even though you're not a big fan of uh, Matthew Broderick in general, uh, you tolerate him in this film? Once he hooks up with Rucker Hauer, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Well, it did bother me when I was a kid because I'm like, oh, look at all the shenanigans. But as an adult, yeah, I, I, I'm watching. I'm like, okay, just get to the get to the meat and potatoes of the story. But yeah, once he hooks up, I think he's a pretty good foil against. Uh, well, not a foil, really, but a, a really good uh, sort of sounding board. A sidekick. Uh, he's, he's very much Rucker sidekick. Hauer's sidekick. Against, yeah. uh, against Rucker Hauer's Navarre. Right, yes. With me and Matthew Broderick, necessarily, I'm very take-it-or-leave-it. Like, sometimes I like him and something like I can tolerate him like a Ferris Bueller in an election. I think 
those work because nothing else is doing something a bit outside of his usual. Hi, I'm Matthew Broderick. Look at me. I can sing and dance. I killed a guy. I killed a guy. <laughs> I love that bit in the producers when he says that. <laughs> but but no, yeah. Uh, he's very take it or leave it with me. Um, and here I was definitely on the side of like, could we leave this at the door? But I agree. Once Rutger Howard comes in, um, this movie sparks to life in a really great way. I, I think from that point on, I had a lot of fun with it. If nothing else, because you mentioned this curse element, and I think him and Michelle Pfeiffer, but even especially Howard, just sell it so much that these two people have been in such this weird situation. And especially sort of the the biggest tragedy is the fact that there is one point during the day where they can see each other. It's like where twilight meets day. It's like this split second before night tra- changes over to day and vice versa. And there's a moment where that happens, where, like, he's out of his bull form, and she's out of her falcon form, and they just catch eyes with each other, and they're immediately just drawn, like, oh my god, I can finally see you again, and then it's over. That hit me so hard when that happened. I think because Howard and Michelle Pfeiffer sell the fact that they've just been through this turmoil for so long, and interestingly, Howard wasn't the first choice for Richard Donner when this was in production. Up until a few days before they started shooting, it was going to be Kurt Russell, and Rutger Howard was going to be, like, the main lead of the guards who the Bishop character sends off to fight against the heroes. But he kept dogging, like, oh, I would really love to be Navarre. I, I really like this character. I think I can do something with it. And then I was like, no, we're going to get Kurt. We got to get Kurt. And then Kurt Russell bolted not too long before production started. And Rutger Howard instantly got the part. And it's a much better film. As much as I love a Kurt Russell, I don't think he could have brought the same kind of thing to this role at all. No, I completely agree with you. As much as I love Kurt Russell, too, I don't look at Kurt Russell and think of Tortured Knight. If nothing else, it would have just ended up being like a better medieval Captain Ron with Matthew Broderick <laughs> and the Martin Short part. That's what it basically would have been. Yeah, kind of. Captain Ron. I love Captain Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rucker Howard absolutely rocks the shit in this movie. He's so fucking good, and there is no question that he is such a badass, too. From the, even the way they got him dressed with the design of his sword to his fucking helmet to everything. I mean, he is so perfect in this movie. I, I honestly, I couldn't, not, in, not even with just Kurt Russell. After seeing this, I can't picture anybody else in that role. No, because I think he makes all these interesting, distinct choices that make it clear that he's lived this. Even though I think they only say they've been doing this for like two years. It feels between the two of them like it's been an eternity. Yeah. It feels like it's just been just this endless thing. Because they hang out with each other so much, obviously, as like either she with the wolf or him with the hawk. And you can tell it's just like hitting them so hard. But at the same time, like I love the few moments where he finds joy. Like the point where Matthew Broderick first calls her Lady Hawk. And he just kind of smiles about like, Lady Hawk. It's like, oh, this is so stupid, but I'm kind of endeared to that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, to call her the silly name, it's so wonderful. And then, as things go along, like, some of the weird choices he makes with, like, when they are finally reunited, which is such a beautiful sequence. Oh, it's cool. So much at the end of this movie. It's a true romantic movie moment when the two meet each other. And the first thing he does when he gets to, like, touch her as a human for the first time in ages, he just touches her fingers. Like, that's mm-hmm. such a great choice, where it's like, that's the one thing he couldn't clearly do with, like, of the the hawk because it's like either talons or fucking wings. It's like no, your fingers. It's the first thing because it's been so long. It's such a it's it's such a great example of like how that dude was such a great actor who knew exactly like the right thing for especially this character. It's such a, a great example of what that dude can do. And just some of those small asides or some of the way he just delivers certain lines, like even about you, know, you tell me exactly what she said. 
or I'll kill you. And it's like at that right sort of line between like, oh, this is like a cute moment where he's like kind of being coy with Matthew Broderick. And also he might fucking kill him. though. <laughs> he might fucking kill him. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And, and you know, and the thing is, Rucker Howard, you know, I've heard, you know, heard stories on documentaries and behind the scenes stuff that he was quite an eccentric sort of guy in his past. I think that also helped, you know, inform his a lot of his decisions as far as acting and stuff like that. You're right. He makes all the right choices in this movie, even if as simple as line delivery and when to put in pauses and when to use certain inflection on words and things like that. It's just I, I honestly I don't really have many complaints about this movie other than the first 20 minutes and the score is kind of jarring. You know, I want to add to that because apparently the the influence for why Richard Donner decided to have this kind of score is that he was location scouting and kept listening on a Walkman to the Alan Parsons project and just couldn't cool. divorce that apparently because there's definitely points where it sounds very Alan Parsons projecty. They do have some orchestral elements. The movie does a great job of knowing when to use those big elaborate orchestral elements and then when to go kind of silly adventurer type thing with the synthesizer stuff, like during the bigger action sequences, which I think works a lot better than people would honestly give it credit for. No, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, and I don't hate the score. It's just it, bizarre. It's a little bizarre. It's really weird at the opening. Like, I had heard, I'd never heard the score, obviously, because I hadn't seen the movie. During that opening credits montage, I'm like, oh, we're doing this? Okay. <laughs> That's right. interesting. Um, over shots of, like, a hawk going around, it's like, and then orchestral music <laughs> swelling. Um, but, like, especially, like I said, that whole sequence in the church where, like, they reunite with each other, and it's mostly, like, the big orchestral swells is, like, right. so tender, it's so beautiful, it works so well. And then it's like, oh, fun action beat, synthesizer, cut to it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Though we also shouldn't sell Michelle Pfeiffer's short at all, because I think she also does oh, no, equal lifting here. And this is interesting because Rudger obviously had so much, like, you know, he'd already been acting for at least a solid 15, 20 years at this point. And this is not too long after Michelle Pfeiffer kind of started, by contrast, because she debuted in everyone's favorite Grease 2 and was also in Scarface, but that was only like a couple years before. But she still also sells that sort of like longing and regret and so much like tortured spirit at the same time when she shows up and has her fun moments with Matthew Broderick, but also it's just like, I, I love him so much. I can't believe that I can't be with him at the same time. She sells that so hard too. Yeah. You know, not to just comment on her looks, but how beautiful is she in this fucking movie? I mean, yes, she's quite gorgeous, especially oh, um, with in, in a pixie cut, which she hasn't, she really hasn't done that much sense. since like, Oh, no, she looks great. In that. Yeah, she looks absolutely fantastic. But no, she's she's really fucking good in this movie too, man. There, there's no question that these two characters are absolutely in love. I mean, one hundred percent in love, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get back to each other. And both their performances work so well that they actually give the sequences where each other are animals more character. Like you mm-hmm. put like a lot of Michelle Pfeiffer's mannerisms, you project that onto the hawk and vice versa with Rector Howard and the wolf, even though they're fucking animals. Like when right. she, when she gets shot with the arrow, like you feel it because you, oh, yeah. you know her and also, you know him just like, Oh my God, no, you, you really are get invested in such a miraculous way. Considering you told me this premise, it's like, okay, it might be fun, but I don't know if it could be that emotionally investing cut to me watching into this movie. I'm like, Oh God, it's so beautiful. Oh no, true love is real. <laughs> Where's my lady hawk or wolfman? I don't know. I'm not picky. Right, whatever. <laughs> it's 2019. <laughs> it's not talked about. Uh, really, it's not, which is crazy too. Not because not only is it 
a really good fantasy movie with a lot of big actors and it's also a dick donner movie and right. it's still just kind of not mentioned well i think because also at the same time like this was apparently one that got a lot more attention once it was like on you know like early cable stations like a lot i heard this was a big mm-hmm. hbo one um back in the day oh that's probably where i saw it yeah right that's where a lot of people saw it. but it did not do very well in theaters because it's part of sort of this trend we've talked about before many times about the 80s fantasy movie that hollywood kept trying for a while and it never quite clicked with people and even this one like it cost 20 million dollars made 18.4 it did not really succeed that well at the box office and i i think that also might be effective of why like if this had been successful i could see almost like the alternate sort of um, Rick and Morty TV channel verse where this could have made Rucker Howard like a big star, especially at that mm-hmm. time, if this had been successful enough. Like, this is a potentially star-making turn for that dude. And it just wasn't successful enough, and he ended up being a character actor. But you could almost imagine, like, he could have been a true movie star after this because it's that great of a turn. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, definitely agree. It just didn't catch on. Because after this, I mean... How many mainstream Rugger Hauer movies can you really name, like starring vehicles? Like, like the big ones that people talk about, like I mentioned Blade Runner, not successful at the time it came out. No. Um, like a, a bunch of like the big ones. He was just like somebody who did phenomenal performances in movies that weren't very popular at the time. But I think that's the thing is like any of the mainstream stuff he got wouldn't be until about a decade and a half later when you had people who grew up watching him. Like, seeing him, like, oh, we should t- I would love to put Rucker Howard in a movie. Like, Christopher Nolan did with Batman Begins, amongst several other people. I do also want to credit some other people, like, especially... I, I really love uh, John Wood as the Bishop, I think, as a fun, evil villain for this movie. Especially how many times, like, the Captain of the Guard comes around to him, and he's, like, doing some, obviously, sort of, like, snooty thing. Just like, how come you bother me like this? Is uh, you know, Matthew Broderick's character at your feet? Where is his corpse? And then he hears about, like, oh, Navarre's back. Oh. And, like, he has so much, like, intense, over-the-top, chewing scenery evilness that works because he's one of those great villains you love to hate. Because you get so invested in our couple that you're like, oh, how dare you break them apart? You monster. How could you do that? Especially how big and over-the-top he is when, like, Michelle Pfeiffer appears and he's like, oh, no, I can't look. No. No, I can't look at it. I know, he's, he's really selling it, too. Yes. Like, he's really, really going for it. And uh, shout-outs to uh, quick-ass Alfred Molina in this movie, too. I will say that's one of my problems, is that I loved Alfred Molina coming in as a slimy bounty hunter. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. This is not too long after even, like, he was in Raiders in his one yeah. sort of scene appearance. I'm like, um, he comes up and Matthew Broderick's like, oh, you better stay away. Oh, stop it, dear. You're frightening me. All this other shit. Like, he's such a good, sleazy asshole. And then he just goes out in the lamest way, like, with a bear trap. That's so disappointing. I know. I it's agree. so lame. <laughs> like, why couldn't he be captain of the guard? He would have been, like, no offense to the guy who does play the captain of the guard. Yeah, he's pretty good. Ken Hutchinson, he's fine. But Alfred Molina is so awesome in this, like, very nothing of a part. Yeah, well, he did a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, coming up. I mean, but now look at him. He's one of the best character actors working today. Also, he's he's a very frequent voice actor that I wasn't aware of. Like, he is, like, almost like a, another Mark Hamill in terms of, like, oh, he just pops up in, like, any cartoon. <laughs> it's really, really? weird. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I found this out, apparently, because um, I, there's a great show called Gravity Falls, if you have not seen that. That's a great children's cartoon. Only two seasons long. Really great. And he plays this evil monster called the Multi-Bear, which is a bear with several different heads. <laughs> And he just pops up, and it's a really funny bit. He's really good in that. But apparently, I just looked at his IMDb, and there's like so many voiceover roles. 
which it, it fits because he has a great diverse voice. Richard Donner's direction, I think, also really works for this, where we've talked about some of these fantasy movies where it's like, oh man, the, the fantasy world doesn't feel believable. There are so many great shots of, like, the various different landscapes they encounter, like, when they're in the frozen tundra, and there's just that shot of Michelle Pfeiffer walking around right before it becomes daylight, and it looks gorgeous. Or, like, the big fields that occur at certain points. Or He especially knows how to really make a crossbow look bad, as long with Riker Howard, obviously, which is hard to do. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. He fucking uses that crossbow so well. He <laughs> uses the shit out of that thing. Right down to, like, like how do you reload that so quickly, dude? <laughs> I mean, he's a wolf man. Who knows what the hell he can do. No, I agree. And I think what really works about this movie, too, is that, yes, it's, it's a fantasy movie, but there's only one fantastical element. Mm-hmm. That it's just their curse. There's not fucking you know, wizards and trolls and all that shit in it too. It's just the one thing set against a, a semi-realistic medieval backdrop. And I, I think that's also what really, really works for this movie. It doesn't go huge with the fantasy. No, right. I really dug how they did that. I mean, because it's, it's way more about just sort of like the interaction and the character drama that's cast around this one fantastical element. Like even down to uh, Leo McKern plays Imperius, who's sort of the guy that got them in this mess and uh, who I think is also really fun in the film. Yeah. I think he does a great job of like really selling that anguish and also being like almost the, hey, we couldn't get Brian Blessed, so let's have this guy yeah, right, play exactly. this particular part. And they do a really good job, especially even down to Matthew Broderick. Honestly, I was so surprised where like Matthew Broderick actually kind of started the crying for me when he's crying during that ending bit of the movie. I was just like, oh, <laughs> Matthew, you're right. It's so touching. <laughs> Your beautiful chocolate chip eyes. <laughs> no, I, yeah, like I said, I think this movie's pretty much perfectly cast. I, I don't have a problem with anybody in it. I, I think it's shot wonderfully. I think the action is really good. I love the costuming. I absolutely love the costuming in this I mean, movie. even down to, like, Riker Hauer in his helmet during that climax, like, mm-hmm. really made me realize, like, this is what it would have been if... Paul Verhoeven got his original way and had had Rutger Hauer as the RoboCop character. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Man, that would have been something. Don't wrong Peter Weller for days. He's oh, fucking uh, fantastic. For sure, obviously. But I think the reason but, was like Rutger Hauer was too short compared to a Peter Weller, which I guess makes sense. Or too big. I think right. it, like the suit would have been too bulky on him. Right, as opposed to the very lean Peter Weller. Would perfectly lean, obviously. That's yeah, 110-pound Peter Weller or whatever the hell he is. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh no i i really i'm really glad you like this movie um this is one like i said that's always stuck with me from my childhood and it it continues to be a movie that i look at fondly i mean every time i see it i'm like god i really still enjoy this movie it's timeless i really think it is other than the soundtrack the soundtrack is not timeless <laughs> no really? not, not quite. it's a no. firmly an 80s musical score but other than that, yeah, I think this movie still holds up. Obviously, if you saw it for the first time and you still like it, or you like it, enjoyed it, I mean, uh, and I still really thoroughly enjoy this movie. And I, I do believe a lot of it falls on uh, Ruck Hauer and his performance. Well, and I think that, that sounds like a solid final thought, unless you had anything else to say. Yeah, I mean, Matthew Broderick killed a guy. <laughs> but other than that, no, I don't really I know, know in this movie, right? And we're not talking about real things that happened at all. No, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, in the movie when he was in a car. And Jennifer Grey was in it for that scene? I mean, that's crazy. I know, yeah, so weird. Um, but anyway, uh, I, as for me, like you mentioned, first time seeing it, I enjoyed it right at the gate. Part of it is, 
we, we talked about this before, how much I'm kind of sick of the 80s nostalgia craze. As much as I love plenty of movies from the 80s that are some of my favorite movies of all time, I sometimes wonder, it's like, oh man, it's another like 80s cult classic, quote-unquote, it's going to be kind of like one that people obsess over, and it's going to be kind of dumb, and it's going to be very overrated or whatever. Like some Goonies bullshit, right? Motherfucker. <laughs> but, but no, this was definitely a great example of just like, oh, this is a great sort of underrated gem of that era because it's like you mentioned it has the fantastical concepts but it doesn't really dwell on that as much as the character interactions and it does such a great job of um really selling that loss and that anguish and that regret um between two great actors like a michelle pfeiffer and a rutger howard especially who just elevate the material so much um to the point where like i said man i was really tearing up with that ending i i don't usually do that especially on a first watch of a movie but it's like man i really got emotional over just this idea especially the way that like michelle pfeiffer's like almost crying in his arms she like he lifts her up and i also love all of the fucking extras who are just there after the bishop just got killed they're like oh shit but man they're so good together i can't help but just smile and crowd around them i can't even be mad no i can't we're probably out of a job and there's so much it's like just crumbling around us right now but this is such a cute moment between these two rascals this guy might kill us after all this, but man, does he love her. <laughs> and that's the thing is that especially the fact that they don't have really any screen time together until that moment. That's mm-hmm. what's so interesting is like due to the nature of the premise, they have that one moment where they see each other and look at each other. And then before that and after that, most of their screen time is just like either the hawk or the wolf stuff. And they even just sell a lot of the drama. Like, I love the fact that um, Rutger Howard's like, look, if something happens and, like, you can't get her released or whatever just in time for the curse-breaking, like, eclipse to happen, killer. Imperius is like, oh, man, I can't even think about doing this at all. And Rutger Howard just pauses and says, you ever consider that maybe this is what God wanted the entire time? That never happens in one of these fantasy movies, where it's just, like, a really existential sort of crisis moment of, like, maybe this wasn't meant to be. Maybe our love is cursed forever. And this can't possibly take place after this witch sells so much when she walks through those doors and he just looks at her and is so fawning, only briefly pausing to, you know, throw a sword at a dude, which was also dope. <laughs> I just oh, thought yeah. the, the Bishop dies. That's such a great fantasy movie death scene. But then right after that, just keep on going with like this wonderful moment of those two. I can't emphasize enough how much that's like almost a new great cinematic romantic moment for me. It's just that scene. If any of the other, like, somewhat flaws of this movie, I'll forever thank you, Adam, for making me watch this so I could catch that bit, because that's such an awesome moment. Very welcome. But, it's the end of our double feature, celebrating the late, great Riker Hauer, and we'll be picking a new double feature for next week's episode at the end of this one, so stay tuned. But, before we do that, we have uh, some feedback to read, because at DEDB Pod, which is our Facebook and Twitter page, we share every Monday a feeler about, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite things related to the topic that we're doing? And uh, in honor of Rutger Hauer, we asked all of you out there this, what are his best and worst performances? And so, uh, first up from James Rodriguez, uh, former guest, loyal fan, says, uh, everyone will mention Blade Runner, and for good reason. He's the best part of that film. It's also worth mentioning his short but great turn as Cardinal Rourke in Sin City. A shame he wasn't more memorable in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Valerian in the City of a Thousand Script Problems. Uh, Lance Langford, who we obviously mentioned here of The Horror Returns, says, I will always remember him for The Hitcher. I believe his strongest character ever. Surviving the game is a classic. His performance in Nighthawks is underrated. And he's never done an unwatchable film. I think we proved him wrong tonight. Oh, Lance. <laughs> uh, Tori Tabina 
uh, says uh, Blade Runner and Hobo with a fucking shotgun. Nothing else matters. Mike Faber of the ESO Network says favorite Lady Hawk. Least favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Adrian Cardenas says Hobo with a shotgun, Blade Runner, and The Hitcher would be his best films that I've seen. Brian Kane says The Good, um, the best character in Blade Runner. He elevated Blind Fury from more than just an 80s ninja schlock. Hobo with a shotgun is a blast. He's always been a working actor, though, and he's done his fair share of paychecks. Omega Doom and Bone Daddy come to mind. And then uh, Stern goes west at double H55, says, I want to give mention to 24 Hours to Live. He's not in that long, and his role doesn't amount to much, but man, does he act the hell out of it for what little he's got. Even near the end of his life, he still was giving 100%, which was a movie I found out he did in 2017 that's a Ethan Hawke action vehicle? What? I know, it's really weird. It's apparently he plays like this former soldier who died in battle, but then ended up getting resurrected for a solid 24-hour point to do some mission, is the premise. What? I know. <laughs> I've never heard of this before. I hadn't until he mentioned it, but yeah, Rutger Hauer apparently plays like a one-scene part in that movie. Only came out a couple years ago. So yeah, I mean, more power to him for uh, working until the very end. has a few more movies left to go. Have you heard about this Russian, like, medieval werewolf thing called the Vi? No. V-I-Y? It's some weird Russian movie that's apparently a sequel, that, like, it's a big blockbuster franchise in Russia that involves, like, werewolves and... What's the era that, like, of Anastasia? Like, that era of Russian history? I'm, I'm oh, sure. okay, okay. Like, it's, it's like that, but it's, like, this big action werewolf franchise that involves, like, he's in it and also Schwarzenegger's in it. <laughs> oh, I have heard of this. Yes. Uh... <laughs> I can... Why... I don't know. One of his last movies, though, so uh, we might want to check it out. <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've talked about this off mic, but with Blade Runner, I know one of your favorite movies of all time, Adam. Um, sure. It, I've said this to you, that I respect that movie more than necessarily like it, I think, because I'm not the hugest fan of the Deckard character in that one. I think uh, Harrison Ford has a much more sort of laid-back performance in a way that I'm not that invested in the character. And I also think that guy just does some weird turns that don't make me, like, quite want to invest in him. But so much around him is so phenomenal in that movie, and the, not the least of which is Rutger Hauer. Which, as much as, you know, I personally slightly prefer Blade Runner 2049, the one thing, obviously, that's the, the best thing in either of those movies is Rutger Hauer as that character. I mean, I did the joke thing with the speech at the beginning of this, but that's one of the best sequences in any movie, especially sci-fi or otherwise. It's such a wonderful bit. And his whole character arc of just being like this robot villain who's like, oh, what's his motivation? What, is he going to try and take over the world? He's just not wanting to die. Who couldn't relate to that? That's so compelling. Exactly. That's what makes him such a good villain. That's what makes the best villains, when you can actually sympathize and understand what their plight is. And uh, I think his is, you know one of the most pure and like you could get behind it. He literally just doesn't want to die. He maybe goes about uh, achieving that in ways that might not be great. Yeah. He's absolutely fantastic in that movie. And I, and I do agree with you. I really do like Blade Runner 2049 as well, but yes, I, I do think Rugger Hauer is the standout of the franchise. But I mean, some of these other ones obviously mentioned like we, we uh, Sin City is a great small turn from another great example of like one scene appearance and, 
arguably the best thing that Robert Rodriguez ever directed is that whole Marv section of Sin City. And he's not, you know, one of the great ingredients that makes it such a great, almost short film that you don't need the rest of the movie for. Yeah, I agree. It's Robert Rodriguez. But yeah, no, he's great in that as the bishop. Like you mentioned before, Batman Begins, he's really good in that part, too. He was in so much garbage, too, though, man. Like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer that people keep mentioning, I think, is a really good example, where it I don't think it's from him not trying at all, because I think he's very much trying in that movie. It's just more a problem of that movie lacked so much clear direction, obviously, because the director had one vision, Joss Whedon's original script was much more like what the TV show would end up being, so it really does conflate and doesn't quite work, and he's very obviously playing it more, oh, I'm over the top, I have to match Paul Rubens as his scene partner in so many scenes, but Paul Rubens, like, knows exactly the kind of camp to go for, and Rutger doesn't, quite, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with that, I I absolutely agree, it's almost like exactly what, uh, what we were talking about with a bad feature. It's almost like he's confused or doesn't know what to do in certain roles. And uh, he, I mean, the one thing you could say about him though, he was a consummate working actor. The guy didn't stop. He never stopped. You know, when you have a filmography as long as his and work as much as he did, you're going to have crap movies. It's going to happen. Not, not everybody has winners. I mean, even Daniel Day-Lewis did that one, the fucking Close movie or whatever the hell. No, Phantom Thread was great. What are you talking about? That's not the one I'm thinking of. I think you're thinking Nine. Yes, that's the one. The musical one, one yeah. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so someone like Daniel Day-Lewis could have a chink in his armor. Rucker Howard could have a couple fucking dings, too. Yeah, but it's not about those dings. It's about getting back up from those dings and keep on fighting, which he obviously did. All the way up till the unfortunate end of his life, and uh, we do salute you, Mr. Howard. Absolutely. Yes. You shall be missed. You will always be our knight in wolf's clothing. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yes, I thank you for that, and also thanks to all of the people who help us with this show, including uh, thanks to Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art that we use for our show. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, of course. Uh, that's where we put out those feelers every Monday about, like, hey, favorite, least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing. And you can also uh, email us directly at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com if you have any feedback. Uh, you can find uh, my own individual musings at Not the Who's Tommy on Twitter. And I also do some writing at uh, mariannithomas.wordpress.com for, like, reviews and posting episodes of the show. And I also write for uh, trueSuperheroFans.com, which is a satirical superhero news site uh, where I just post all sorts of weird articles and things, um, like... Hey, they're going to reshoot New Mutants, and Disney wants it to turn into an Auburn Company <laughs> remake. Just stupid shit like that. I have a lot of fun doing that for that site. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of good reads. I like what you're doing there, Thomas. Yes, and also all the other people, of course. I'm not the only writer on there. A lot of great guys and gals writing for that particular website. And uh, you can uh, find Adam, I assume, uh, just trying to kill that Dracula with those two twigs he's turned into a cross, right? For God's sake, no, I, I'm literally trying to just stay away from that movie. Stay away from the old Dracula 3D place. <laughs> and uh, for more great content like that, uh, you should please subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us to give us more visibility there or on any other platform we're on. We're on Stitcher, we're on YouTube, we're on all sorts of different places. Out the Spotify, of course, all the kids love the Spotify. And uh, 
You know, you can also find us on the ESO Network feed, which uh, any of you new people out there who uh, found us with ESO, uh, definitely try and, uh, you know, find our original feed and go back and listen to the other 67 episodes we didn't have a chance to post on there. Yeah, go devour the content. Yes, content wars, that's what we want, devour. Do it. Please, (laughs) we we would appreciate it. But now it's time uh, for the big thing of our gimmick, Adam, where uh, we're going to pick our two movies... For next week's show. So um, our next episode, just as a curious topic we decided to do, was uh, directorial debuts. Which, if you're unfamiliar with this fancy terminology, um, is the first film from a filmmaker's filmography. So uh, their first big auspicious debut onto the silver screen, um, which we really like doing, especially considering we love talking about the history of a certain person's career. But uh, it's always interesting to start at the top, whether it's uh, for good in my case, with my two good picks, or for bad, with your two bad picks, Adam. Yes, I do have two bad picks. I have two really bad picks, but I'm very curious about your two very good picks. So, may I pick a number? Well, of course, because I've assigned a number between 1 and 10 for each of my two movies, and you've done the same for yours, so go ahead, Adam, and between 1 and 10. I'm going to go with number 1. Okay. At number 3, I have the auspicious debut from... A guy who either, depending on what internet forum you go to, helped to elevate Star Wars or helped to deplete it entirely. Uh, Ryan Johnson's Brick from 2005. Oh my god, that is such a good movie. I was literally saying to myself, if I had the good picks, Brick would be one of them. That's a great call. And your other choice? My other choice is number eight, which I guess might draw some controversy depending on what you think. Um, The first film intended to be theatrically released from a young tyke in the 70s named Steven Spielberg, The Sugarland Express, which is one of his underrated ones. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I mean, a lot of people uh, would say Duel because it got released in Europe internationally and all that other stuff. And sure, was, sure. Right, but this was the first one intended for the big screens all over the place. I really like that movie. I think uh, you see a lot of Spielberg's other isms that come to play later. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely see that, for sure. And I would couch Sugarland Express as his first. Yeah, and also it's one of the rare times you get to see uh, William Peck Atherton as a good guy. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so, uh, are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Hmm, okay. For the two bag picks, uh, I'm going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum and pick number 10. At number 8, I have the directorial debut of the director who has probably the Biggest successes of all time consecutively. James Cameron with Piranha 2, The Spawning. Oh, I have to watch that again? Okay. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh, boy. There's, there's, yeah. I can't wait to talk about that for five minutes because there's not much to talk about, but fine. Oh, okay. we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> At number two, I have Ron Howard's Grand Theft Auto. Oh, okay. I've, one, obviously, I've heard of that just... Either just went to Roger Corman, like, can I direct a movie? Sure, Grand yep. Theft Auto, you have $5, good go. <laughs> exactly. Two of Basically. them, bo- both of these are Roger Corman. Yeah, Carman both Corman. Well, I mean, those are, you can find almost anybody working today, their debuts are Corman movies. Yeah, and sometimes they're weird underground gems, uh, and sometimes they're either of these movies, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. No, okay, so, uh, <laughs> Piranha 2, The Spawning, and Brick. Uh, what a... What a double bill we have in store for you all next week. But until then, Adam, uh, let's go ahead and ride on our horses before uh, you transform into a hawk and I transform into a wolf. Yeah, I, I said last week I was going to have a new sign-off. I don't yet. We'll figure that out. Long with the lady hawk. I don't know.
We'll workshop it. Good night, everybody. Okay, we'll work it out. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.